to Voices of the Belt and Road podcast, brought to you by the Belt and Road Advisory, your professional advisors on all matters concerning the Belt and Road Initiative. Voices of the Belt and Road is our flagship podcast, and with each episode, we'll hear the personal stories of people who are part of the Belt and Road Initiative. The aim of this podcast is to demystify the initiative by interviewing a broad array of people whose lives are impacted day in and day out by the world's largest cross-border trade initiative and infrastructure build-out. On this podcast, in addition to university researchers, think tank experts, and policymakers, you can also hear from business people, workers, and countless others involved in the Belt and Road. You'll hear people tell their own personal stories in their own languages, because at the end of the day, the Belt and Road Initiative is changing people's lives, and we want you to hear it from them. Please enjoy this week's podcast, and thanks for tuning in. Hello everyone and welcome to the Voices of the Belt and Road podcast. I'm your host Greg Stetz. Today on our show we have a guest who's really one of a kind. I'm really excited to welcome Kiran Chaudhry, a senior manager and strategic advisor at Beijing Technology Exchange and Promotion Center and the deputy director of the Enterprise Europe Network Beijing. Kiran is the only foreigner working in the Beijing government agency. Welcome. Thank you Greg. Tell us a bit about your background. How come that you became the only foreigner working for an agency of the Beijing government? Well, I'm Canadian, Pakistani descent. So I was born in Canada, but my parents are Pakistani. So I was very much grew up in a Pakistani home. But I went to school in Canada. I did my I did my university also in Canada. I did my master's in international relations and political science. In my working career, I worked in the public sector in Canada, doing some government relations work, specifically actually on science and tech. And I also had the opportunity to work in Washington D.C. at the World Bank, where I was working on uh, private sector development in former Eastern Bloc countries. And so I was at a place in my life before I came here to take a risk, and the opportunity presented itself. And you know, I just closed my eyes and I jumped. I didn't know ni hao was hello. I I only knew three Chinese people, like Mao Zedong, Zhou Enlai, and Deng Xiaoping, and that was about it. I came here on a project, actually. I didn't realize it was working for, you know, an agency of the Beijing municipal government. And so I came, and very quickly I realized, oh, what kinds of opportunities were available and what kinds of work they were doing. And and they also realized what my background was and, you know, sort of in a real way and what I was possibly able to contribute in terms of developing their networks and in terms of developing uh, different kinds of mechanisms and programs for them to implement the government's policies. You know, this is how it all happened. So what does the Beijing Technology Exchange and Promotion Center actually do? What kind of partners do you work with? Well, we work with domestic partners and foreign partners, and specifically, especially since I came uh, six years ago, we have been helping to develop China's national innovation cluster, which is Zhongwansun, um, which has been developed as a special economic zone, as federally designated area to develop an innovation ecosystem. And the reason why it's located here in Haidian District is because Peking University is here, Tsinghua, Renmin, Beihang. We have several different science parks, life science parks, agriculture science parks, University of Forestry, and uh, agricultural sciences. So there's all of these sort of science and 
and tech resources that were already here. And so the government wanted to section this area off and then also add further resources. So in the last six years, we've done a lot of work to help develop both in terms of different activities, large conferences, forums, gathering of finance, different capital venues, helping startups and entrepreneurs find financing, and also you know facilitating pitch events. So all of these different aspects have helped to develop this cluster. It has, you know, all kinds of different challenges, of course, um, but is come to be seen as one of the most important innovation clusters worldwide. And one of the things within the context of the Belt and Road Initiative that I'm really excited to work on is that we're exporting our experiences. We're exporting our expertise, our knowledge, our know-how. And of course, you know, every model has to be tailored to the local conditions. But we are saying, okay, these are the different components that are generally required in order to have an innovation ecosystem that helps to develop startups, entrepreneurs, connects finance with good ideas, helps entrepreneurs develop business plans, um, has activities and that sort of like buzz around science and tech uh, related projects and science and tech related services and products. So I'm working with Uganda, for example, I'm working with Pakistan specifically right now. I've also had discussions with Brazil, Philippines, Egypt, helping them to see, okay, what, what can we do given their local context? and uh, the, our Chinese experience and see what works and what we can do to you know, help them develop a similar and flourishing ecosystem. So you mentioned Uganda, Pakistan, uh, Egypt. Can you give us examples of concrete projects that you run with partners from the Belt and Road countries? Before I answer that question, I just want to draw attention to the differences in terms of how we cooperated previously with our European partners and now how I've really had to shift strategy in dealing with our Belt and Road partners. So for example, one of the big projects that I've been doing with Europe is helping to initiate my agency into becoming an Enterprise Europe Network node. This is very useful for our Chinese partners, also for our European partners. They have good network into China based on our Chinese network and vice versa for our Chinese uh, partners. But, you know, the, the dynamic is very different between China and Europe because Europe has very advanced technologies, very sophisticated research funding programs, very sophisticated universities and, and all of this advanced scientists doing all kinds of different research. And now as China is moving more into that role globally, it's the truth of the matter. You know, we are getting more sophisticated and our scientists are getting more sophisticated, our universities and our, our, our institutions. Now, as we relate to our Belt and Road partners, our projects are very different. And so I've really had to shift my strategy in terms of dealing with these two different kinds of partners. So for example, we're doing a project with Pakistan right now. Basically, we're working with a Chinese aircraft, aviation, drone. They do a lot of scientific research and also develop products. And we're connecting them with Pakistani scientists who are trying to develop an ambulance drone system, which can de deliver via drone medical personnel and supplies into hard-to-reach areas and disaster areas or heavy traffic where you know there's too much congestion and regular vehicles can't get to them. And so this is potential China-Pakistan collaboration using 
advanced Chinese technologies and putting it into the Pakistani context, which is a little bit more difficult. Another project that we're working on, and it's a similar strategy, is we're working with Uganda. They have a large youth unemployment problem. They have a lot of young people they, who don't have uh, enough skills to develop viable livelihood and have viable long-term jobs uh, prospects. So what we're doing is we're working with them to understand very clearly what the local situation is, what kinds of skills and skill potential already exists in Uganda and amongst the youth and amongst the people in general. And we've connected them with a large Chinese furniture manufacturer. And this furniture manufacturer has been very successful on the technology development, also on the like very, very specific skills. So wood making, wood carving and the furniture making and also the business development side of it. And so we're connecting these partners to see if we can develop training programs that will be delivered first from the Chinese partner to directly to our Ugandan students. But then finally, we want the Ugandan institutions to deliver these Chinese training programs themselves so that there's like a long-term sort of sustainability. And that's really in the interest also of our Chinese partner who is looking, I mean, they're a huge company. So their first main driver is not necessarily profit at this point. They're looking at, okay, we want to work within the, our government's mandate. We want to work with Belt and Road countries. We just had the FOCAC forum, the, the forum on uh, China-Africa cooperation. So within sort of these government and political and uh, sort of long-term vision, our Chinese partners are also looking at these kinds of projects, not necessarily completely profit-driven. And another project uh, we're working on is with Kazakhstan, and we've developed a bilateral mechanism with their National Agency for Technological Development. So we're working on technology transfer, knowledge transfer. They're bringing projects to China. We're bringing Chinese projects there. So it's really exciting. It's a long-term cooperation, and it's obviously part of the Belt and Road, and I think it can be very successful. All those projects sound very impressive. So. What is your specific role within that and how does your work look like? Well, my role in one word is how. My job really is to realize what our government's mandate is, what our local situation is, first in Beijing, then Jingjinji corridor, then of course the larger Chinese context, but it's nothing, not necessarily unified. I mean, it's very diverse across the board. So my job really is to figure out different ways to cooperate with all of our different partners who come to us. The first thing that I do, both with my Chinese partners and also with my foreign partners, is try to understand, okay, what, what are you doing? And then very importantly, what do you think you're doing? Because then this helps me to understand what my partner thinks is going on in terms of the local context or in terms of their technology or in terms of their business plan. And I think that that's a big value add from our side. 
So to give you an example, um, I was speaking with a partner from country A. I don't say which country. So, you know, they're telling me we have this very superior logistics software and we're going to make things really fast for you and, you know, the quantities, you know, and et cetera, et cetera. And I said, okay, well, like, tell me more. And so he goes on into detail and I said, you know, listen for a while. And then I just said, like, do you know, like, what we do here on like a second to second basis from Kwaidi to our metro system to the movement of people during the spring festival and October holiday. I mean, this is, you know, we're pretty, we're pretty sophisticated here. So, you know, I had to say like this uh, and explain to them that this is where, where I'm saying it's really important for me to understand what you think you're doing, because maybe that's not going to be applicable to what we already have going on. So it seems that there are sometimes different issues related to this cooperation. So what are the three biggest challenges of making cooperation between Chinese side and foreign side effective? Obvious one is like language and culture. Dealing with my European partners, Canadian, American, whatever, we just go Chinese to English. But in the Belt and Road context, sometimes Chinese to English is not enough, especially when we were working with very local um, partners. Because once you get really to the local levels, uh, the language barriers and the cultural differences. Um, for example, we have a, an agreement that's in, it's in Russian and Chinese and in English. We have translation of all it, between all three languages happening in one meeting. And I think you know, for me, I mean, I'm from the Silk Road, so it makes it really useful that I can communicate between. In local Pakistani languages and also English and also Chinese so I'm able to keep our communication smooth. These are some of the things that we have to think about when we're dealing with our Belt and Road partners. It's not just English and Chinese, it's going to be a lot of different cultures, a lot of different languages and a lot of different subtleties that, that need to be dealt with. The second challenge that I've seen is you know, China is not one market. China is thousands of markets. And I think this is something that uh, especially my foreign partners don't appreciate. There's regional corridors, there's municipalities that have the population larger than some European countries. There's all kinds of different dynamics and different consumer habits, uh, different kinds of market drivers, different institutions. You know, there's a very useful Chinese proverb that says, as any foreigner anywhere, not just in China, but anywhere, you should always find a local tree or a local, local partner, but a tree who is rooted and also can provide shade and protection. And so I think this is something that actually the Chinese do very well. But I think it's really important for our foreign partners to work with good local Chinese partners. You know, the Chinese are very good at this. Like They very much are interested in identifying a local tree who they can work with in any given context. We, we do this with our Belt and Road partners. We work specifically with institutions that are rooted and that also can help to protect our negotiations and our projects. And, you know, because we respect that they have their own local conditions that we don't necessarily understand. If they understand them, we have a relationship with our local partner. We let them take care of their things. They let us take care of the Chinese side of it, and, and then things can go smoothly. And I think the biggest challenge I've seen so far is that people don't leave their sort of system of belief, system of logic, set of assumptions behind when they come to China, when they're trying to understand China. And 
sometimes I, I have discussions with my bosses and my colleagues and very frank, frank discussions. And I say, you know, like, do you know what they're saying about you in the foreign press? And they're shocked sometimes, you know, they can't believe like what their actions are being portrayed as. And I get it. I mean, you know, working specifically, like, for example, with my European partners who tend to understand some of China's actions as colonizing. And absolutely, they're not. But you know, just because you did something in one way doesn't mean that everybody's doing it in that way. But because people aren't leaving their system of logic and system of beliefs and system of assumptions that are behind when they're trying to understand the Chinese context or understanding what China is doing, inevitably, they're going to see it in a light that they understand. And this is true across the board. I mean, this is just one example. And I think we have to be really sensitive in terms of China and the Belt and Road Initiative. I think this is a lot of the way in which China is being understood. But the case is that we're interested in reinvigorating the Silk Road. And this was a very prosperous time. This was like globalization. This is very much what we're trying to do, um, but it gets taken in a way that is not intended. Okay, and finally, I really have to ask this question. I'm sure that a number of people in our audience are wondering too. How is it to work as a foreigner in a Chinese governmental agency? How does your daily work actually look like? It's actually really normal. You know, I've worked in office settings in Canada and also in the US and it's very normal. I mean, we do have like red tape and we do have a lot of paperwork and fa piaos, which I think my uh, all my Chinese can relate to uh, and also my foreigners living in China. But, you know, it's also very fun. You know, one of the things that I love is that I get to be creative and You know, I've also helped to develop our institutional capacity. I've gotten to train a lot of my colleagues, helping them to understand how to work with foreigners and what's going on in the world in terms of S&T and innovation and vice versa. You know, and this was actually my goal to understand, have a very operational understanding of how to get things done in China. It's really, you know, been the challenge but pleasure of my life. And it was also a pleasure to host you on our show. Kiran, thank you very much. Thank you so much. this week's Voices of the Belt and Road podcast. If you want to learn more about the Belt and Road Initiative, check out our website at beltandroad.ventures. That's Belt and Road, one word, no spaces, and dot ventures, V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S. On the website, you can subscribe to our weekly Belt and Road Bulletin and also follow our Belt and Road Advisory social media accounts on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. That way, you'll always be up to date on what is happening on the Belt and Road. Thanks for tuning in and see you next week.